0: And the
1: Oscar goes to... And the, Oscar goes, and the to... Oscar goes to... Chat.
2: My only
3: object
1: in being
3: here is to try and get at the truth.
2: Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear,
3: I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your... State. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an All real, Mary. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. back. I, love love the no,
1: I loathe you, I loathe you, love you. I love you. you I did as a there's
3: something wrong. It's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. Smack it! and it! Remember that's what you told me it's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 255 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Meglia. Time of recording is 11:02 a.m. on August 8th, 2021. Here to join me today, I have Amanda Spears.
4: Hello,
3: everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Cody Derricks. Hi. All right, so today we're going to be uh, talking about, like, little bits and pieces of news that dropped throughout the week here. Nothing totally massive, just more additions to the TIFF lineup, the New York Film Festival lineup. And we are also going to be talking about the trailer for Cry Macho, starring and directed... Clint Eastwood. Before we get into all of that today, though, I want to go around and ask everyone what they've been watching this week at home, film, or television, starting off first with Amanda Spears.
4: I've been re-watching some episodes uh, for Emmys. So I've watched some Ted Lasso. I've watched a little bit of Flight Attendant, Hacks. I watched the first three seasons of Weeds again, and I've noticed that Genji Cohen's shows seem to go on about four seasons too long. But that's that's been about it. You know, I, I live in a place where the movie theaters aren't open, so I'm kind of
0: at a loss.
3: All right. Moving over next to Cody Derricks. Cody, what did you catch up with this week?
0: So since I've last been on the show, I saw three major 2021 releases. So I'll just highlight those. Um, I saw Black Widow. I thought it was just kind of OK. Um It didn't really do much for me at all. It felt kind of perfunctory. My whole thing with it was I was kind of surprised that they never made a point in the movie um, as to why they had to wait until after the character's literal death to do this movie, which kind of made it feel like they forgot to do their homework and were suddenly rushing it or something. I don't know. It felt very contractual. It really did not do much for me at all. I saw Old, which, to the surprise of, I'm sure, nobody who even slightly knows me, I absolutely fucking loved. I thought it was a stunning meditation on uh, how life passes you by before you even know it. You know, you watch your parents wither and die while you still feel like a child. You uh, demarcate your life using your jobs when that doesn't ultimately matter. I thought there was so much packed into this movie with such some really stunning. Filmmaking from M. Night Shyamalan, who I'm generally a fan of. And I, I really can't wait to see it again. I loved, loved old, loved it. And then I just recently saw The Green Knight, which I... You ever watch a movie and you're like, yes, good job, thumbs up. Don't really feel much. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I kind of respected it more than I... Uh, I guess, I guess saying you enjoyed The Green Knight, it would be a little odd, but I did respect it more than I enjoyed it. I thought it was immaculately crafted. I thought it looked amazing. I thought it sounded amazing. I kind of thought it was a bit um, meandering, which I know, you know, once we got to where it was going was kind of the point. And yes, those last five minutes are pretty stellar and tie the whole thing together very nicely. But overall, I wasn't super enamored of it, but I, I'm I'm very glad it exists.
3: Fair, fair. I've definitely seen some divided reactions on that one lately, so totally understandable. Josh Parham, what about you?
1: Yeah, this is a week that I uh, was able to catch up with a lot of stuff, actually. Uh, I did see The Suicide Squad, which I enjoyed. I don't think it's great. I do think it kind of has some bloat to it that could have been trimmed down in my opinion, but ultimately I think it is a very enjoyable movie that I would certainly recommend if you're looking for a very kind of gory but fun superhero action movie. I I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Uh, I also got to see Free Guy the new movie with Ryan Reynolds. And that was another one that I found to be, like, overall sort of entertaining. It's very, like, light entertainment for me. And to be honest, I kind of am forgetting it <laughs> very quickly after I have just seen it. But for the moment, it, it, like, it's a fun movie. It You know what to expect with it. I don't think it really has any surprises in it. It's very kind of pedestrian in storytelling. But if you know what to expect, I think you will have, like, a... Overall, good time with it. Not amazing, but, you know, lightly enjoyable for what it was. Uh, I also saw Ailey, the Alvin Ailey documentary that just came out. Oh, that was good. I I enjoyed that one overall. I do think that it doesn't go quite as deep into his life as I was sort of expecting it to. And if you don't know that much about him initially, I think that's that's slightly frustrating, but it is sort of a good, like, overview of him and... It's a good, like, I think kind of starting point. I don't think it's like a definitive portrait of Alvin Ailey, but as a general overview, I still found it to be very interesting and I would certainly recommend it to people. And the last thing that I saw this week is that I finally got to see Annette.
3: Oh, Jesus.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is a this is an odd movie. But what would you expect from Leo's Karex? Yeah. didn't really work for me all the time. Its story is relatively simple, I thought, and at, like, two hours and 20 minutes, I really don't think it needed all that runtime to explore its themes, but it is a very intriguing film with a really great lead performance from Adam Driver. Like, I really think he is giving a very particular performance I don't think we really see from him all that much, and that was really interesting to see, but... The movie itself has – there's some sequences that I think are very well done, but it does get very tedious after a while, and it's a very mixed bag for me. I'm not really that on board with recommending it, especially because of how weird it is, but I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad something like this exists, but it didn't quite work for me on the whole.
3: Yeah, I feel like there's a good 90-minute version of that movie trapped in there somewhere, but I'm with you, Josh, on the overall feelings about that one. Uh, this week, I saw two best actress Oscar contenders, one of which I'm allowed to talk about, the other one I'm not allowed to talk about. So I'll start off with the one I can, and that is respect. Uh, by the time most people are listening to this, the embargo on this movie will have dropped. And I think that, you know, there's a reason that Aretha Franklin handpicked Jennifer Hudson to play her in this movie. And I really think that she. Absolutely nails it and knocks it out of the park. It's a very, very Oscar Beatty role. It contains all of the familiar trappings uh, that, as long as the movie is well received, I think, by the Academy overall, I think that she stands a pretty good shot in this year's race. The movie itself is perfectly fine. It's nothing extraordinary, it's nothing bad necessarily. It's just your standard musical biopic. Uh, and once again, though, no, pushing the two and a half hour runtime, I did feel it was a little long. And I was kind of surprised that it was as long as it was.
1: Yeah, I think that movie tries to tackle way too much in her life. That's my big problem with it.
3: Yeah. Also saw Free Guy. Really enjoyed it for what it was. I got to admit, I, I was so on board with this movie. I felt like, you know, okay, this is like Truman Show for a new generation of people structured around online gaming culture. I was I was down with it, you know. But then like Taika Watiti shows up and I just feel like his performance is so over the top that it really threatened to just derail all of my enjoyment I was having with this movie up until that point. And I know that for some people, like his performance is working. But man, I just like I found the writing to be so cringy. None of the humor was landing and just the way he was performing it, I thought was, uh, man, It like it's, not, it's very rare for me to talk bad about Taika Waititi like this. but just wasn't for me uh mm-hmm. Jodie Comerdo was great I really enjoyed her presence in this film and Ryan Reynolds was Ryan Reynolds you yeah. know you, you know what you're signing up for <laughs> when you bring him on your movie uh but at the same time I felt like all of its themes of examining you know free will and yeah I guess also touching upon like today's Video game online community was sort of unique, but most of these themes were already kind of touched upon in the Truman Show in 1998. And I just couldn't really get that comparison out of my head while watching it. Uh, But overall, enjoyable. I I would say if you're looking for a nice, fun, breezy time uh, at the uh, cinemas, that's that's definitely one that you can definitely check out. I also saw Naked Singularity starring John Boyega and Olivia Cook. And this movie is very odd because it's it's like it's like two different movies ultimately at the same time. Uh, one of which is exploring the criminal justice system. and then there's this like really overly complicated. Heist story that's also thrown in there. And I just didn't feel like it ever connected those two storylines together in a way that made the movie cohesive. Uh, But it's very watchable due to the cast. Uh, Like I said before, Boyega, Olivia Cook, but you also have Bill Skarsgard, Ed Screen, Tim Blake Nelson. So there are a few names in there to make it, I think, at least worth a curious watch, but I, I say it with reservations. And I saw a reminiscence uh, recently um, to prepare for a uh, interview that I'm doing with Lisa Joy in a few days' time. And I can't really say anything about that one as of yet, but um, I can in 10 days. So more to come on that one. Until then, Let's head over to the latest updates in the film festival world, what's been going on lately.
2: Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we
3: break down every movie from the IMDb Top
2: 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod v Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and we'll talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown a Intuit with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies?
3: Oh, hey guys, I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast!
2: Oi bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) 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 Amazing testimonies once again Absolutely legit and real Of course And if you still don't believe those testimonies Go ahead and check out the show for yourself By searching for the Movie Journey Podcast You can find us on all your favourite platforms Including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher
3: and Podbean So come along and join our journey First up, TIFF We got the announcement for the Midnight Madness Wavelengths and Docs Programming announcement Um, The Midnight Madness Section in particular is always one that always catches the eyes of horror movie fans, genre fans in general, and the opening night film is going to be the Palm Door winner, Tatane.
1: Very excited to see that in the lineup. Yeah, it's always kind of a gamble with Midnight Madness, though, because like horror, I, you know, I'm interested in it, but it can go either way a lot of times. So there's always potential there, but I'm like kind of looking at it suspiciously a little bit. But yeah, Tatane, that's a That's a big get for that section. Yeah. I just love that
0: we have a palm door winner that could fit comfortably into a Midnight Madness slot. I mean, that's (laughs) that's got me excited to see it.
3: Yeah. I mean, that movie is definitely uh, making the rounds right now. It's also been programmed for this year's uh, Fantastic Fest. Uh, And it's one that's coming out pretty soon. I mean, October 10th, I believe, is the release date last I checked. So it needs to make the rounds in, in September at these uh, fe- various festivals before its uh, ultimate release. But, you know, the more and more I think about it, the more I say to myself, oh, man, like, I really, really want this to be our international director play this year for Julia. But it's like, man, that movie's going to be lucky just to be nominated for international feature, honestly. It will
1: be lucky to be selected uh-huh. as the international feature
3: yeah. invitation from France. Yeah. Uh, tiff Docs Always a very exciting category mostly because of the fact that this is where probably our documentary feature lineup is probably going to start to take some shape this year uh, In there a couple of different standouts Obviously flea is playing at tiff after premiering at Sundance early this year So neon is trying their best to make sure that those that did not get a chance to see it at Sundance will get a chance to see it at Toronto which I think is very, very smart on their part because I think that movie stands the chance to go even further than just documentary feature. I think it could contend in various Best Picture categories at this year's Oscars. And then, of course, um, the other thing that really caught my eye was the new film from uh, Chai Vassar Hailey and Jimmy Chin, The Rescue. They previously won the Oscar for Free Solo, and this is their follow-up film.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the one that has the biggest profile in that group for me. And yeah, I mean, Free Solo is just a really great example of fantastic filmmaking in the documentary format. So very, very interested in their next uh, project.
0: Yeah, they have yet to let me down between Maru and Free Solo. So anything they do at this point, I'm totally on board.
3: We also got word that uh, Seven Prisoners, compartment number six, the Gravedigger's wife, Jockey, small body, True Things are all being added to the contemporary world cinema section. And uh, the can premiere titles, head's Knee, France, and Where Is Anne Frank were all added to the special presentations lineup. So a couple of can titles re-premiering here at TIFF, which is usually per the course. But what I'm mostly curious about right now is I'm curious to know what is going to be announced this week for the New York Film Festival's main lineup because that is where we typically tend to see a lot of Cannes titles carry over, a lot of international features, uh, and then that's where, once again, the international feature race then starts to really start to take shape at that point because you're starting to see the films that were very popular at Cannes play again, and those are the ones that typically do tend to have staying power then throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, seems destined that detain would show up at New York, right? Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time that the Palme d'Or winner did not play at New York. But a couple of things that I'm like thinking will play on top of um, the French Dispatch, which was already announced a few weeks ago. I have a feeling Benedetta will play there because Paul Verhoeven's L previously played there. So that would make sense. Yeah. and I'm still I'm still holding out hope for Tick Tick Boom. My gut is now telling me that at this point it's gonna premiere a Telluride and maybe play again at New York, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because whenever New York has their lineup, they usually have the three big movies, the opening centerpiece and closing night film announced in advance, and those are like your your headliners. Tick Tick Boom feels like it should be a headliner film in a way. So maybe it won't be at the festival after all, you know, after I initially thought, I don't know. But then again, French Dispatch is a movie that, you know, feels like it could have been one of the headlining films also. So I I really am at a loss for words. It seems very strange that Tick Tick Boom would not be at New York, though. That seems like
1: the most receptive crowd you could maybe ask for that film. I mean, Lynn lives in New York. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah know. It's and especially New
0: York. Yeah, Jonathan Larson's a musical theater mainstay. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I, just because I'm talking about the closing night film here, um, it was announced this week that Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers uh, will make its North American premiere at New York Film Fest on October 8th. Sony Pictures Classics is releasing the film later this year in theaters on December 24th. And it stars Penelope Cruz. It's going to have its world premiere at the Venice International Film Festival. I mean, anytime Pedro is in the conversation, we all have to take notice.
0: Yeah, especially because, you know, Pain and Glory was maybe his most mainstream Oscar movie in a long, long time. So, you know, eyes are on him. And also,
3: I got my eyes on Penelope Cruz and Best Actress, too.
4: Yeah, she's fun to watch out for. She got in for her last movie with him, I believe.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Valver, yeah. Yeah. Anything else that anyone thinks could show up at NYFF? I mean, obviously, I'm thinking, you know, some of the international uh, titles from Cannes would. But every time the Toronto International Film Festival chimes in with, oh, this is playing at TIFF and it says North American premiere. I'm like, what the hell is playing at all these other festivals? <laughs> you know,
4: what about West Side Story at New York? Could that happen?
3: That would have been a headliner film there. I, I highly, highly doubt that that would be just in the main lineup. Then again, no. Uh Lincoln was a surprise screening. Bridge mm-hmm. of Spies was in the main lineup, but still something about that feels very weird to me as not being the opening centerpiece or closing night film.
0: Well and now that's Disney, we know they're not, you know, always the most on top of getting movies seen that early. They like to they they, you know, they're not in a super rush.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to the New York Film Festival slate, we should all just like kind of temper our expectations with any big movies at this point and probably just look at international features and i'm sure there'll be like a small film uh you know f- from the u.s or two that might play there but i think like the, in terms of larger titles that are set to play there like everyone was thinking Soggy bottom might show up that that ain't happening
0: do we think a hero could hop from Cannes to new york
3: oh i think so i think that's very possible yeah yeah, for Hardy over there. Yeah, that's something like the most obvious to me. Well, I'll tell you one film that's probably not going to be in the lineup at New York Film Fest, and that is Clint Eastwood's new film, Cry Macho, <laughs> set to release in a few, a few days, actually. I mean, this is coming out actually in early uh, September on September 17th. Uh, it will also be premiering simultaneously on HBO Max. It is starring, produced, and directed by Clint Eastwood at age 91 years old. God bless him. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts.
1: Back when we had winners, I was afraid to lose you to the competition. Five times you won the All-American. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was before the accident, before the booze. You know how many people told me to just cut you loose? You going to say anything?
2: Howard,
3: I've always thought of you as a small, weak, and gutless man. But you know,
1: there's no reason to be rude.
2: You owe me, Mike. You gave me your word. And that used to mean something. My son, Rafael, he's in trouble. I want to get him out of Mexico.
3: You want me to go down there and kidnap him?
1: Please, just get him back up here. Just you? Just me.
2: Hey, Rafa you can come out now. I'm a friend of the family.
1: Touch me and I'll kick your asshole, man.
3: Jesus Christ.
1: Get in the back. We go and I tell you, okay? Look, the
3: only place you're gonna go is
1: the hospital. You get too angry. It's not good for you. You used to be strong natural. I used to be a lot
3: of things. But I'm not now. Now I'll tell you something. This macho thing is overrated. Just
1: people trying to be macho show that they've got grit. That's about all they end up with. Like anything else in life, you think you got all the answers. I'm Mike. Marta. And you realize as you get older, you don't have any of them. We all have to make choices in life, kid. You have to make yours. His name is Macho. Like me,
2: very strong rooster. Whatever. What's wrong with that?
1: Nothing. I want
3: to name this cock Macho. (laughs) It's okay by me. Okay, is it just me or does Clint look younger here than he did even in the mule from three years ago?
0: Yeah, he went to the beach that makes you young.
3: (laughs) <laughs> the other side of Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> like I'm just like where 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 are all the wrinkles? Like where where's like all the hard edges on his face? Like I'm just like I'm very. I, is it makeup? Is it Botox? Is it CGI? Well, like
0: I, the trailer as a whole. Usually Clint has these you know highly contrasty you know really gritty looking movies, and this one looks comparatively kind of soft. So I wonder if. um, And I don't even necessarily think to make him look younger because I really don't think Clint Eastwood could give a fuck about that. But
3: I think overall it kind of has a
0: a less hard edge than he's had in a while, at least the the visual side
3: of it. I mean, this is being shot by Ben Davis, uh, who has previously shot a couple of Marvel films, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and will have not just this, but Eternals and the Kingsman uh, all releasing this year. So big year for him as a cinematographer for sure. I mean, as far as, like, the story and, like, what this is about and everything, I feel like Clint is retreading on ground that he covered in other films before. And I can kind of understand why he's telling these types of stories over and over again. Because, you know, I I feel like he's making every film, though, as if it's maybe his last. But at the same time, I'll give the movie credit for this it, it does look like it's taking a more heartwarming route more akin to something like say like a Gran Torino than something that was like dark and depressing and overall not that enjoyable but I mean obviously the thing to look out for most of all with this is how does Clint handle the racial optics of this story because woof. He doesn't have the best track record with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, he doesn't have a great history of uh, being the most tactful filmmaker in uh, many aspects. So, you know, when a movie is looking this hard into a a clear uh, uh, hot topic issue, I my you know, I'm I'm a little bit on edge. Um, but at the same time, Clint Eastwood's a filmmaker that at this point I'm like, he's doing his thing. He's not going to change. I have to, you know. Respect the kind of um, you know toss them together movies he's gonna make, and I do kind of you know have a little bit of affection for that uh, old-fashioned you know two takes and we're out, make two movies a year kind of filmmaking. Um, but yeah, I mean the subject matter definitely a concern.
4: Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. Toss it together. That's that's my my problem with his movies as of late. <laughs> is they just feel like they're just thrown
3: together. I mean, 1517 to Paris definitely felt that way to me. I thought Richard Jewell had it had some high points to it, and I didn't think that it was actually, like, um, a bad movie the same way, like, The Mule was, but it's, like, at this point in Clint's career, you never really know what you're going to get, and even the ones that are well-received, like a Sully or American Sniper, they still have their detractors, I don't remember the last time he had a movie that was universally well-received, maybe Letters from Iwo Jima. Right. And that was, you
0: know, his most empathetic movie by a mile in decades. Yeah. You know, before and after. So,
3: I mean, I'm still going to see it, obviously. I'm just very hesitant and I go into every Clint Eastwood movie nowadays, not expecting greatness. And sometimes that yields not greatness, but goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, with Richard Jewell, where it's like, all right, I'll take the good aspects and, you know, hold on to those. But, yeah, I don't expect him to be cranking out best picture contenders or anything like that at this stage in his career at this point. No way.
4: No, no. Unfortunately, he's past. He's well past his prime.
3: Alrighty. Uh Next up, let's move over now to the polls let's give some thoughts on last week's poll and this week's poll so for last week for the release of the suicide squad we asked everyone which is your favorite movie where the main character is a villain Very, very broad here. There's a lot of interpretations of this one. Cody, we'll start off with you. Any movies come to mind where uh, the main character that we're following throughout the movie was the bad guy?
0: So I can't remember if this was on the, in the poll off the top of my head, but I have such affection for American Psycho, which is a strange movie to have affection for. But I think it's a, an amazing breakdown of kind of 80s uh, Reaganist selfishness and how it can manifest so far into kind of a, a like a capitalist horror show. That the only logical conclusion is for somebody in that world to start killing people. Um, I think it's just. An incredible takedown of that time and place with a really amazing
3: direction from Mary Heron. Amanda?
4: Does Silence of the Lambs count? Or is that not enough of
3: It off? was on the poll because, you know, even though he is a supporting role in that movie, ah, he did win the lead actor Oscar. That was one of those like very broad, we'll let it slide sort of options.
4: Yeah, I I think that. God, I mean, just the juxtaposition of good and bad in that film is just so amazing between him and, and Jodie Foster. And mm-hmm. frankly, it was lovely just to see both of them back making movies this year. I hope, especially with Foster, that that Golden Globe at least gives her some renewed interest in being in front of the camera. But uh, yeah, I, I'd say Anthony Hopkins' Silence of the Lambs. It's It's a very dominating performance. You're always thinking about him, even though he only has 11
1: minutes of screen time. Josh Parm, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with There Will Be Blood, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. I
3: think that's a really, really good option. I'm going to hold off on mine, and I will say it if it cracks the top 10, which I think it will. Let me uh, pull up the results here. And yes, it is in the top 10. All right. <laughs> so, number 10. We have The Wolf of Wall Street.
4: Not a traditional villain,
3: but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's not a good guy by any means. I mean, it's so funny. This whole list, I feel like, could have been populated by Martin Scorsese films.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's probably going to be the only movie where the person playing the villain or the per- the person that the lead character is playing was involved in the- making the movie.
3: Number nine is one of my all-time favorites, A Clockwork Orange. Love
0: it, I, old school. I hate that movie, so no comments. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a comment, but you know, whatever.
4: It's nice to see that a film made further back than like the last
3: 30 years is on the list. Well, I think Cody and Amanda, you'll both like this next one then. And number eight is The Shining. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah.
0: He's definitely a villain.
3: <laughs> number seven. Amadeus.
4: Ooh, again, not your traditional villain. I That is one of my all-time favorite movies. Every Oscar season, I get into the to watch that movie. One of the best, best actor winning performances,
3: I, in my opinion. Oh, it's an incredible movie. Number six is Goodfellas. of oh. Marty. Which is ironic. It should be called Badfellas.
4: <laughs> it's, it's ironic because the Goodfellas could be the guys selling the coke to the guys in the Wolf of Wall Street.
3: <laughs> True. Number five, The Godfather Part Two.
4: One of the best supporting actor performances from Robert De Niro. The only person who's ever defeated more than one co-star.
3: Number four is Nightcrawler. That's kind of
0: shockingly high, you know, above Godfather Part 2, but alright.
3: Number three is Josh's pick, There Will Be Blood. Nice, nice. Which I think is a modern American masterpiece. Number two is my choice because, unlike Silence of the Lambs, I actually think that the quote unquote villain title can apply to both lead characters in this case depending on your interpretation of the story that unfolds number two is gone girl
4: Ooh, that's one i didn't think of i i really think that's a that's a clever choice because you're right not everyone in that movie both leads are villains
3: and number one is the silence of the lambs yeah which I feel like is a movie like Parasite, where if it's included as a choice in a poll, it usually always wins. (laughs) I was
0: just going to say, it doesn't
3: matter the context. You
0: throw the movie in a poll, it's going to get, you know, a lion's share of votes. And who can complain? It's one of the best movies of of all time. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's really one of those that holds up even today. And I, I was watching it and I was thinking, I'm like, it's so ironic. Anthony Hopkins' first Oscar win only took him 11 minutes and his second took him the entire show. He's in everything.
3: So for this week's poll, uh, for the release of Respect, we're asking everyone, which is your favorite female-led musical biopic? Unfortunately, there's really not that many of these um, that are released. Um, I do feel like they are, there are more and more now getting released in later years, but this is uh, a specific subgenre that I feel like has been dominated by men. And originally, I was going to release the poll just asking for... Uh, musical biopics but we previously asked that question back in 2018 and i even though some time has passed since then i wanted to make it even more uh highly specific here with female lead so looking at the list here is there anything that stands out to you josh parm i'm gonna go with what's love got to do with it that's my choice too big big fan of that one yes cody what about yourself
0: so the funny thing about this list is that there's a lot of great performances on here, but not a lot. Like, but the movie that they're in isn't always incredible. Like, I'm always I'm looking at um Judy and La'Veon Rose, which are fantastic performances with just lackluster movies. You know, United States versus Billie Holiday, an amazing performance in a bad movie. Um, I think though the best movies of this list though are Walk the Line, which is you know obviously a dual biopic, and like Josh said, What's Love Got to Do with It, which I think um angela bassett in the movie is just absolutely next level amanda what about yourself
4: this is hard because i i just agree on Lillian Rose. i think it's an actually a, a decently made biopic starring marion Cotillard. yeah i agree on judy i don't think that's a, the best example I, I agree on the other ones but i do think what what love got to do with it but i'm gonna go with coal miner's daughter yeah and young sissy spacek just dominates this entire movie When I see a biopic, I don't really care if I get, like, the most original film. I want to at least know where they started and how they got to where they are. And frankly, I don't think Walk the Line should count because it's more about Johnny Cash.
3: All right, we'll head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Let us know which is your favorite female-led musical biopic in honor of the release of Respect later on this week. And now we are just breezing on by this week for this episode Josh Parham is wondering why can't every week be like this we are now (laughs) moving over to the fan questions so let's see what questions we got this week from the fans of the MVP film community and let's give some thoughts here what's up guys Gerald from two
1: P's on a podcast here are you just sitting there thinking to yourself man I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald and I am from Two Ps on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment. And we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is
3: www2 I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. Yeah, got to talk about this one. This one comes from Swamp Thing. Do you think it's possible that the Oscars will in the near future follow the Gotham Awards decision not to define acting categories by gender? This is a move that the Gotham Awards uh, made this past week and now is going to be in effect where there will be only two categories now for outstanding lead performance and outstanding supporting performance, not separated by gender. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that other award shows will follow suit with this?
0: not major ones no i do think we're about um i think the gothams are kind of off to the races with this and this is a discussion that's gonna eventually you know come around in the mainstream as social ideas and um perceptions of uh gender you know rightfully expand and change i think what we will see before anything like a man to amanda's point anything uh awards wise changes is that we'll see a lot of critics awards start doing this we'll see more independent awards um different maybe possible smaller guilds here and there i think we're probably like a decade away from the oscars even beginning to think about this though i think the problem
4: doing it i like the oscars or the emmys is winning an oscar and emmy is a career-defining moment and let's say for example best lead performance at the oscars five years in a row goes to a man, and then all of a sudden, they're sexist. At least if they're getting out two lead performance categories, and they're allowing transgender performers to be in the gender of their choosing for that role, still getting two lead performance winners. If anything happens where it's like, well, they only like men now, it's just going to cause more controversy, where at least this way, at least with two there's two lead performer winners every year, regardless of the gender.
3: So my take on this is this. Um, I think with something like the Gotham Awards, there's nothing to worry about here. The nominating committee for the Gotham Awards are small, and they are always keeping things like diversity and inclusion at the forefront of their nominations at all times. Same thing with choosing the winners as well. So I do not anticipate any problems arising, uh, like you said there, Amanda, with the Gotham Awards with the major award shows and like cody is saying how we might see to start to follow suit with um critics awards and it could like in 10 years time become the norm um i do think that the only way to avoid the pitfalls such as that if they really are going to go through with it and only have the two awards for lead and supporting is you got to have these small committees kind of like how bafta has now that uh committee for their nominations I, I almost feel like you would have to do that at least for the nominations and leave the winners up to the entire voting body. But even then, you do still probably will... Unless if you have like a... split between male and female or more female to men. I mean, I I just can't see how in a situation like that the Academy doesn't just show its ugly head and, you know, continuously vote for men all the time. It's just, look at the best picture lineups and how often those movies and those stories are dominated by male stories and not female uh, stories. You know, it's just, I think we're a long ways away, as Cody said, from it getting to that point. I think if it were to get to that point today, it would not look good. Yeah, you almost need another committee, like you said, to monitor it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you would need a committee
4: to vote on the winners, too, because the minute it, it looked unfair, it wouldn't even have to get to five years. It'd have to be like two, and then people would be like, well, they hate women now.
0: Something that I think could be a decent compromise is uh, – so the the – The Chicago Theater Awards are called the Jeff Awards, uh, and what they do is they do have uh, non-gendered lead and supporting performance categories, but they give out two awards for each one. So there's still the same number of awards as would be in a traditional gendered category uh, award show. It just, um, you know, you get two awards for lead, two awards for supporting, and that usually actually kind of uh, makes it an even balance. Interesting.
4: Well, what happens if in that situation, instead of having two men and two women the oscars had four men how how is that going to look it's right
0: i mean like it's totally possible i think the general idea though is that with the voting body is that they're not gonna you know the the idea of a non-gender category already brings to mind equity and gender disparity so i would (laughs) maybe i'm giving voters a lot of credit here but i would think that if we got to that point where the categories were like that that would already be on voters minds and they would you know Again, I'm I'm assuming the best, but hopefully not automatically check off two men.
4: Yeah, I think you're maybe assuming the best for them. Cause yeah. I think, I mean, part of me thinks, like, if they could have awarded Brad Pitt and Joe Pesci, would Lord during have stood chance? Like, you know, there there is that kind of, oh, there's a few where I think if they could have given two men supporting or two men lead, they would have definitely done it and been like, sorry, ladies.
3: All right, next question here. Uh, we have... Richard Houlihan, do you think Matt Damon's recent comments will impact Stillwater in the last Duel's awards campaigns?
4: Uh, His last comments didn't affect him. I mean, come on, he he made comments about diversity only mattering in front of the camera instead of behind the camera. and, And everyone kind of shrugged that off. I think he more put his foot in his mouth.
3: Yeah, I feel like Matt Damon's the kind of person that has too much clout that yeah of course he's going to get a lot of media backlash you know this week but fast forward a few weeks from now to the release of the last duel and I don't know how many people are going to be bringing it back up again or I just I feel like there will be other issues to focus on at that point and people will probably just move on at the same time it's like I You know, just in commenting on, like, his comments in general, I understand where he was coming from in terms of being like, oh, pat me on the back. Like, I've done a good thing recently. And it's like, dude, you didn't even need to go there. You didn't even need to. Like, nobody should be patting yeah. you on the back. You're mad freaking Damon, you know? So, yeah. yeah, he put his foot in his mouth completely. I do think that this has impacted his Stillwater campaign because now that movie – I think from a word of mouth standpoint has been hurt as far as how well it could have done with uh, the older crowd, with the uh, box office. The last duel, though, I think is going to be its own unique set of problems away from these comments that Matt Damon made this week. That's the thing is the last
0: duel already has, you know, hurdles to cross. I also don't really think that at the end of the day, either one, especially in regards to Matt Damon, was going to be a huge awards player. Um, I think this could circle back around the next time he has like a Martian that's gonna you know
3: get stuff across the board.
4: But no, I mean even in the articles we've seen about this, we we never they didn't even re-mention his past incident.
3: No, it was people on Twitter that were mostly bringing that up.
4: Yeah, so it's it's kind of like it'll maybe affect Stillwater, but it's not going to be a long lasting thing. Unfortunately, he's just one of those people who's too likable.
3: Movie Silence Reviews asks, um, I appreciated your review and thoughtful discussion on The Green Knight last week. Is there a scenario where you could see it getting a nomination for picture or director? Maybe this is just wishful thinking on my part. Thanks. Uh, it's wishful thinking. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I'm going to direct this over to Josh. Because <laughs> I know, Josh, that you are a big fan and you would love to see any recognition towards Dev Patel, David Lowry, But no, this is just not the reality we live in.
1: No, no, it's not. I'd love it to happen, but it's not going to.
3: okay and now um we have actually some fun questions here. Uh, David Mitchell Baker asks ahead of the fall film festival season is there one above the line nomination that you personally feel is a near certainty to happen
4: Marley Matlin supporting actress.
3: That's a good one. I'm gonna say Jared Leto for supporting actor for House of Gucci.
0: I think Kristen Stewart in Spencer is pretty secured. You know, she's been somebody that's been bubbling around the worst conversation for nearly a decade now. And this is, I mean, checkmark, checkmark, checkmark in terms of what Oscar likes.
3: Yeah. Uh, Brandon Uric. Oh, this is interesting. It's hard to define amazing direction in film. In your opinion, what is the best, best director Oscar win of all time?
4: Oh, Jesus.
0: So, give me I,
3: am, I am going to be very <laughs> extremely basic with my answer, and I apologize in advance because everyone's going to just be like rolling their eyes. Of course, Matt. But seriously, hear me out here. What Peter Jackson did with that freaking trilogy, even if he won for just Return of the King, if you take in a totality of all three movies and look at the, just the achievement of – Coordinating that many artistic departments from design to getting the story adapted, the performances from the ensemble like that is a Herculean, incredible feat of directing that I really do not think many other directors could have pulled off.
0: So my go to uh, examples of direction, especially Oscar wise, uh, that I think of a lot are Jonathan Demi, Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. and Mike Nichols, The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Nichols, the graduate, was the first time I kind of noticed what direction could do in terms of shaping a narrative and using the unique tools of film to tell a story in a way that no other piece of art can. And Silence of the Lambs, um, I've read the novel, I love it, uh, but it is pulp. And the what Jonathan Demi does with that to elevate the material, again, also with the screenwriter, obviously, but um takes the material and uses it to craft something even greater than what was there on the page originally is really just um, unbelievable direction. And I think those are kind of the two pinnacle examples in my mind of what you should be aiming for as a director, which is to take material elevated um, using only what film can do.
4: I think in like 10 years, we're going to look back on this and, and think about Parasite and Bong Joon-ho's way for that. Cause it's, I know he wrote it, which maybe gives him an upper hand but there's just something about the direction of that film that's so masterfully done gone with the wind i mean we could look at it. there's a lot of them that's a real that's like a whole podcast into itself
3: josh my pick is foreman for amadeus oh, oh that's Milos a good foreman. One. okay all right i like it very cool Oscar H at the underscore film underscore maniac. You could change one Oscar win from the last five years. One <laughs> from the last five years. Only one. What are you picking? Uh,
0: I, th- uh, you know, there's this is a this is a monkey's paw uh, <laughs> situation. You know, there's a million things I could say that probably would have ripple effects on the line. But I think. My go to, like, wow, you really missed the boat there. Is why the hell didn't George Miller win in 2015? I know it probably was never going to happen based on the type of movie it was, but like, I mean, if there was ever a time a movie like this was going to get awards like that, it was, you know, they clearly loved it. And the, the, to add insult to injury, is the fact that Inyari 2, who I generally don't like, had obviously just won. So there was no, you know, career need to give him another win. And I also think that the things that Two won for, which was, you know, the way they kind of, the, his whole team just like complained their way through awards season about how hard it was to make this movie, which, you know, I'm sure it was. But so the hell was Fury Road. So I don't really know why Iñárritu's, um brand of difficult filmmaking was more impressive than Miller's that year. I think we really missed the boat there.
3: That's definitely in my top 10 or top top 3 even I would even say but I gotta go with the big important award and that is best picture for mine and I gotta reverse the green book win uh, for something anything uh, obviously Roma is kind of like the default answer in a lot of ways because I do think it is a masterpiece of cinema uh, that will be taught in you know classes probably in a few years time But, I mean, you could have gone with Black Klansman, you could have gone with The Favorite even, you could have gone with Black Panther, which made over a billion dollars and was a cultural phenomenon. There were just so many other options to go with that year. And yeah, like, you know, I could talk about Rami Malek's win or whatever. But Best Picture is still the most important award of them all. So that's what I would go to as my default answer, regardless of any other personal preferences I have for any of the other categories.
0: It also ruined the way we look at prediction now because we had such a good run before and after it of like, you know, this is not... This is very subjective, but of decent to great best picture winners. And then Green Book is there as kind of this like anomaly, like reminding you that like, no, 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 the Academy is not so quick to change. So now it has to get brought up every time we talk about best picture. You know, it kept coming up last year with Nomad Land when everybody was like, Well, it could be trial of Chicago seven, you know, myself included. Yeah. So really just the the ripple effects have been just like, you know,
3: awful for Oscar prognostic. I mean, I'll tell you, crash. Thanks, Green Book. I'm sure with a check in the mail every single day that it took away its uh, (laughs) backlash.
4: Uh, The Crash wasn't a badly made film. I think that's the problem people get involved in with that is that they forget that Crash wasn't a horribly made
1: movie.
3: Uh, Josh, what would be your answer for this one?
1: I have to go with re- recent history and say I would give the cinematography Oscar to Nomadland.
3: Oh, I know you were pretty bitter about that one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, Amanda, what about you? There's
4: so many. It's so easy to, like, really want to redo a lot of these categories. Uh, I really wish Diane Warren had won that Oscar for song for Till It Happens to You. But I think I'm going to go with the one that I was really rooting for because I wanted to happen when my father was still alive. Sylvester Stallone in Creed. I think we really missed the big moment.
0: Yeah, that was a shame, frankly. <laughs> I love him in that movie.
4: You know, my father I was very sick at the time, and I saw that movie, and I just it just really shocked me that he still had that kind of in him. And to think the fact that he never won an Oscar for uh, – Rocky, I, I thought, you know, it would have been a great moment. No offense to the great Mark Ryland.
3: All right, well, that'll do it here for questions from the MPP film community this week. Thank you, every, uh, everyone, as always for submitting your questions. And a reminder to all of you out there, this is your last week to vote on the 2013 MVP Film Community Award winners. Voting is open until August 14th. So head on over to the MVP Film Community tab in nextbestpicture.com to vote for that. It is also the pinned tweet on our main Twitter uh, page where you can click the link and it will take you right to the form to fill out the winners. All right, Josh Parham, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at JR Cody Derricks, where can they find you on the internet?
0: I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. Amanda? Uh,
4: you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Amanda Spears.
3: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 255 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get exclusive podcast content from us, including the ending of our 2013 retrospective series with our final two reviews for American Hustle and 12 Years a Slave. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.